This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. Hey, Raw Beauty crew, we have a guest joining us for the second time on the show who I know you all love and adore. Her name is Ruthie Lindsay, and I am just beyond honored to have her joining me here today. We are going to talk about love. We are going to talk about liberating women in their bodies and, of course, so much more. So, Ruthie, thank you so much for joining me here today. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored that I get to be on here again because so much has changed. So much has changed. So much has changed. I'm trying to think. It's probably been two years since you came on the show. I think it was 2020 because I think it's when my book came out. It was 2020. Okay. And Mm -hmm. wow, there's been a lot of change for everyone in that period of time. I will make sure to link Ruthie's previous episode down below because I honestly think if you don't know Ruthie and you don't know her story, I might pause right here and go listen to that episode because it will blow your mind what this woman has lived through, the strength that has been built out of a really hard, difficult place. And I think that episode uh, sets the tone for everything and really tells the initial parts of your story, which we're not going to go into in depth today because we got to tell part two of the story and there's a lot of good stuff happening over there. So you've fallen in love. Let's just cut to the shave. I have. Oh my God. (laughs) It's so sweet. And I think this is the first time I've ever been in love. Obviously I've been married and, but I was so unwell and so unhealthy and very much did not know how to love myself. I didn't like myself at all. So of course I couldn't show up and love another person. And I had so many deep, deep attachment, attunement wounds from early childhood. So I didn't know how to do it. And so doing all this work and learning to attach to myself and attune to myself, it opened me up to let myself receive in ways I truly didn't know that I could experience something like this. I didn't know. And it has just been, you know, it's still very human, but it is the sweetest, most expansive, most precious gift. I'm so blown away by this year and what it's offered me and what um, it's invited me into, you know, like deep, deep work in the sweetest way, in the most expansive ways, but allowing myself to really receive most of my life. It's like you have to do and you have to serve and you have to give and to be deserving of love, not understanding that I'm deserving because I exist and we all are, you know, and I think because I've changed so much. So what I would look for is drastically (laughs) different. So it's just been, oh, he is just the most precious, precious soul. And honestly, even three years ago, I probably couldn't have seen him. So 
So well, I'm so, so, so happy for you. And everything that you are saying is just radiating from a really deep place. So I know it's so true and authentic. And I love that for you. And I, I'm dying to hear the story. And before we talk about like you meeting him and how that happened and how it came about that you were able to see him and then actually be with him. I want to talk a little bit about your single days because I know that there's lots of women who are tuned in right now who are in a season of being single or maybe that's just what they want for their life. Cool. Go with it. But I want to understand a little bit about the work that you say that you were doing behind the scenes to love yourself, to attune to yourself, to care for yourself. You know, it's interesting. I was single for a long time. I mean, I would date casually and add a few little things here and there. But I also made this like conscious decision after I got divorced. I was like, we got together when we were so young. I'm like, who am I? What do I like? What music do I like separate from my musician ex-husband? Like, where do I like to travel? Because I would usually travel on tour with him. So that was a big part of it. But then it kind of moved a lot more towards I would always say I was just so independent, but the truth was I didn't know how to attach. So learning that through lots of inner work, lots of therapy, lots of EMDR, lots of inner child work. I I mean, I'd never missed a person before ever, literally besides animals. I missed animals. (laughs) I don't know what that says about me. I definitely miss animals. But I learned how to shut myself off in so many ways. I am highly, highly, highly sensitive. I didn't know what that was. I have a very sensitive (laughs) nervous system. I pick up on everything. I've learned a lot of tools so that it doesn't take me over anymore. But um, I mean, it does still at times. But I think because, you know, I moved into this place of just being like, oh, I'm just so independent. But the truth was I was terrorized and terrified. And my core wound was abandonment from childhood. And so, you know, but I was like, my brother helped raise me. So I was able to connect with men and brother them. I instantly brothered the amount of brothers. You have so many brothers. (laughs) And so I instantly did that. But then I'd have the story that like men aren't attracted to me. Men don't think of me that way because I had brothered them unconsciously to stay safe because my brother wouldn't break my heart. So I just assumed brothers wouldn't break my heart. And so that sent me on a real journey. I worked with this incredible coach a few years ago, London Angel Winners, who helps people in relationships, sex, all the things. And I started learning a lot about how those core wounds were playing out in my relationship because I was like, I want relationship, you know? And then I think learning how to attune to my own body and learn the agency of my body and unlearn so many of the patriarchal stories of how I should, which I just think should is a shame word. Like I'm saying shame every time I say should, you know, I should look like this. I should be like this. I should act this way. I should blah, 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 blah. And it was deeply embedded in my cells. Even if my conscious mind was like, that's bullshit. My body believes something different because of what I inherited, because of what the collective has told us, because of what family has told us, what church told me. I was a part of purity culture, you know, and told my sexuality was dirty and sinful and bad and so many bullshit stories. So it's just sent me on this incredible journey. And I feel like the biggest shifts came in the last few years. I started studying sacred sexuality And I started studying like pleasure and like 
self-study and really allowing myself to open and connecting with mother nature in a different way. And I started dating really for the first time a few years ago, like one or two years ago, and like really opened myself up to it in a way that I never had before with this new understanding of why I've kept people away, you know? And I think shadow work has been really helpful with that too and understanding parts work and all these, there were parts of me that felt very protective that were like, you're going to hurt me. So I'm going to keep you at a distance. And it just cracked me open doing these trainings, doing these workshops, understanding my divinity in a different way and what I am so worthy of and deserving of. Learning body safety has been so huge because my mind tells me stories all the time. And truthfully, it took me a minute to see my partner because my mind was like, no, mm -mm, that's not what I thought. He's not going to look like this. He's not going to have this kind of job. He's not going to do whatever stories. My body felt so much peace and safety in his presence. And because I've been studying so much around embodiment, I remember the first time he kissed me, and it was a few dates in, like he moved slow. And the first time he kissed me, I remember having a conversation with the divine, with God. I'm like, huh, this guy, what? Because I couldn't believe, I felt things I had never felt before. Mm. It truly, I was like, this is what people talk about, but he's not the kind of guy I thought it would be with. And I was dating a lot and openly and casually. And there were other people on paper that made more sense, but my body didn't feel like that. Wow. And so I was just, I, I've learned that my body's wisdom is way wiser often than my mind's stories because they're just stories, you know, and a lot of it's conditioned. And so I started just listening to my body. I'm like, I'm just going to say yes to what my body's saying. My body is saying lean in and thank God I've done enough work to have trusted that and to trust my body's agency and my body's yes and my body's no, because who this man is. I, we joke when I, he showed up on my front porch, we met online, we met on Bumble, which I would not have foreseen. But now I'm like, who doesn't meet online? now? <laughs> you know, and he showed up on my front porch, Aaron, this man has hair to his belly button. <laughs> he had this big scraggly beard. He lost a hundred pounds when he got sober five years ago, but some of his nicer things were from five years ago. So he had a shirt on. He looked like a coat hanger, like this big ass shirt hanging on his very lean muscular body, but you can't see it. I just saw like, and my first thought was like, what is he hiding? Who is underneath all of this? And he was a little shy, a little awkward. And turns out I'm the first person he's dated sober. So it was a wow. big deal. I didn't know any of this. I didn't know. I mean, it took him a minute to even tell me that he had been, that he's an alcoholic, which he thought I'd, that would turn me away. I'm like, that makes me like you so much more. The fact that you are sober and you did the work, holy hell, every addict I've ever met are some of the most empathic, tender, porous, often psychic, like beautiful souls. But like, this world feels like an assault and they don't have tools to handle it. And so of course they go to these things. And when that level of human like chooses sobriety, I am in awe. So I'm like, that just makes me like you so much more. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> like, that's... that's a green flag for me. Yeah. So what did you do for your first date? He took me to a restaurant that I like gave it a very short amount of time because I wasn't like super interested and I was dating other people and I had literally a FaceTime date when I got home. So I was like, I have an hour and a half. That's all I've got. 
And so, I mean, I was very present with him in that hour and a half, but the second I got home, I was like, gotta go. And I literally jumped in my bed and got on FaceTime with this other man I was talking to. And I didn't really think much of it, but something in me, when he asked me if I'd hang out again, I learned my body's agency, my body's yes and no, because I didn't really think much of it, but my body said yes. And I think there was this, because because I've learned to listen to my body, I'm like, maybe she feels like this will be a really great friend, which that was not mm. on, he was not trying to find a friend. <laughs> like that was not, you know, <laughs> if I had said that to him, I'd be like, never mind. I don't want to go on another date with you. And then we went on like a hike. And it was like, just, they were all kind of awkward. I was like, I can talk to a wall so I could keep the conversation going, but he was really nervous and a little uncomfortable. And to do it for the first time sober without the crutch of alcohol, like how brave. And something in me kept saying yes. And then I'm telling you, Aaron, the second he kissed me and I felt this, I was like, this is different. I feel like this is what people talk about. And I feel like I'm supposed to give him a chance. And we had this beautiful conversation. I told him I'd stop dating the other people that I was seeing like casually, you know, and we joke, my best friend, Jed always says, God said that you had to love that man's heart before you get to see that jawline. And I'm not kidding. He's the most handsome. I'm like, babe, I'm so glad you were hiding under there. Someone would have snatched you up so quick, but literally you couldn't even see you. You're the cutest, most handsome thing I've ever seen. Like, I could not be more attracted to him. I could not love him more. And I think because three years ago, me only listened to my mind's stories and my condition stories of what someone needs to look like, the kind of job they need to have, the past they need to have, the amount of money they need to make. It was all unconscious and it was all stories, right? I don't know. We're very different, but there's enough, like the way that we love the divine, the way that we want to serve, the things that we enjoy, we both want to be in nature much as possible. And I don't know, I, I feel like I could ramble on and on about it. But it has just been the sweetest, most unexpected, precious gift ever. I mean, he's my mm-hmm. like, we know we're going to get married next year. And, and it's only been like a year, but we just know. You just know. You've had enough time as well, getting to know yourself, doing the dating scene for a moment to just know that this feels safe and comfortable. And it sounds to me like your core values are very aligned, which when those are aligned, then all of the other little things like what he wants to do on Sunday or whether he likes this food or that, like none of that, those details don't matter anymore. Totally. You figure them out. And because we spoke very different languages, like I've been in this very therapeutic setting for years now, right? And so have all this like spiritual language around shadow work and internal family systems and have all the lingo, right? But he's done so much inner work through AA and other things. It was just through a different lens. I think both of us are very, very, very curious and open. He's just like, I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to expand. I want to be the best version of me, the depths of like where we'll go in dealing with our pain and our past Mm -hmm. pains and like loving on those parts with each other to the amount of play and fun and silliness and ridiculousness. Like I will be in, we literally, I'm not kidding, Erin, when we were falling asleep last night, we do this thing. It's very cheesy, but whatever, give it to us. Yes. I love eye gazing. He was a little uncomfortable when I first started doing it, but like, that is how you see someone. Like I I can read 
and see myself reflected back and see a human like it is the window of the soul. So every night before we go to bed, not every night, but most nights, we'll just like stay there and just stare into each other's eyes for a little bit. It's precious. Honestly, it's such a deep little soul connection. I've actually only done eye gazing. I mean, other than in moments with people, I can think of one person whenever we're together, it's like we are locking eyes and it's there's this intensity around it. It's an, it's another woman. It's really cool. But I did it at a meditation, a day long med- silent meditation retreat. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room. 100%. Everyone was, everyone started off like pretty uncomfortable, as you said. And the instructor was guiding this beautiful meditation, but it's so rare for us to be and feel truly seen and requires a tremendous amount of vulnerability. And so when we're talking about eye gazing, first of all, just so everyone knows what we're talking about, it's just sitting with somebody in front of you or standing with somebody in front of you and gazing into their eyes. And I always recommend looking into the left eye because our left side of our body is the feminine side and it's more open to receiving. The feminine's about receiving and the masculine's about going out and doing, right? And so our left eye is more receptive. So I always stare into someone's left eye and I like to just speak to their soul and tell them how loved they are and how worthy they are and how good they are and how deserving and things that like their souls already know to be true, but just reminding their human parts, you know, that these things and no words. And I'm telling you, I mean, the amount of clients when I first start working with them that can't hold my eye gaze at first. And we'll talk about it. It's like a form of meditation. You know, I had a client not too long ago who did an intensive with me. And at the beginning of the weekend, like I was doing some eye gazing and like just blessing her and she just couldn't stay there. She was like, it, your the love felt too much. My I almost didn't feel like worthy of it. And to watch her open herself up to letting herself receive throughout the weekend and just I mean, it's it's rare that people don't tear up, you know, because it's yes. so holy and it's raw and it's vulnerable to let yourself be seen in that way. But oh, it's so powerful. But we were doing it and then I don't even remember what we were talking about. We moved into I'm telling you, I had like a cramp in my side from laughing. <laughs> and I'm sure it was completely irreverent, usually is. And we were howling. And I'm like, this is such medicine to be able to like go from like tearing up, having this very intimate moment and just feeling so loved and cared for to being so ridiculous and laughing so <laughs> freaking hard. I don't even know what to do with myself. You have waited and worked for this. I'm just so excited to see what this kind of love brings into your life and what the two of you create together. As we head into fall, it's an amazing time to give a little extra TLC to the skin on your face. My go-to skincare, as you know, is Osea, and they have a special promo right now on two of my holy grail skincare products, the Ocean Cleanser and their Hyaluronic Sea Serum, which is the ultimate hydrate and plumping duo. I've been using this for a while now, and I am like, I truly, truly love these two products. So the Ocean Cleanser removes everything from surface impurities to excess oils. Its pH balanced formula gently exfoliates to unclog pores, but it's not going to strip your skin. Their Hyaluronic Sea Serum, which is one that all my friends use. This one, I mean, I 
chef's kiss to this. It's clinically proven to minimize the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles, instantly increasing hydration, and I find it delivers a more lifted, kind of firmer look. This one is the holy grail of all my skincare products. I put it on after the cleanser and before my moisturizer to really keep my skin soft and glowing. What I love about Osea is that they are clean, vegan, cruelty-free, seaweed-based skin and body care. They are female-founded, and I never feel like I have to choose between skincare and my values. So right now, you can get the Hydrating Duo for only $110. That's a $26 savings, plus you're going to get an additional 10% off when you use my code beauty talks 10 that's beauty talks with an s at the end 10 if you are ready to elevate your skincare you have to try this duo i absolutely love it for a limited time you can get 10% off osea with the code beauty talks 10 at oseamalibu.com head to oseamalibu.com and use code beauty talks 10 for 10% off Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. I'm so curious, what does it look like when you two get into a disagreement or an argument? 
Because as you said, it's beautiful, precious, all of these things, but it's human. So I can't imagine there hasn't been a moment when you're like, hey, could you trim that long ass beard hair somewhere other than my sink? It's so human. (laughs) I think what's been so beautiful is the crux of my work. The foundation of my work is shadow work, is the implementation of internal family systems and understanding that it's a part of me that feels this way or acts this way. It's a part of him. So some of the things that we do that feel so beautiful, we did it two nights ago on a walk. I got so activated. I don't say triggered. I believe words are so powerful. Yeah. And so to say like, and I got so activated and it, you know, I let myself have space to like understand actually where it's coming from. It's from an old relationship where something like activated an old injury and an old wound where I felt mm-hmm. rejected. He didn't do anything that would like actually cause that, but it just, it hit on that place. And what's so beautiful is we literally get to say these kind of things to each other all the time. And it creates this dynamic is we'll say like the story I'm making up right now is when I did that, that you're embarrassed of me or I'm too much. But when you say the story I'm making up isn't when you do that, you make me feel blah, 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 blah. And you do that all the time. And because that's not the truth. That's so human. Have I done that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Does it ever work? Do people's defenses not go up like crazy and feel attacked? Yeah. It doesn't actually work. But when you get to own like, oh, this is activating an old wound. And after I create a little bit of spaciousness and being like, this is a part of me, I don't have to identify it with the shame part of me that's acted out that came out sideways. Instead, I can be like, this part of me felt really activated. And the story I was making up is I'm too much. And this is overwhelming to you and blah, 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 blah. And then he gets to actually speak the truth to those parts of me. He gets to lean in and speak from a loving place like, oh, babe, oh, that is not at all what I meant by that. What I meant is da 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 And the story I made up when you pulled away is da 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 So then my defenses don't have to come up because he's not saying, and when you did that, you made me feel blah, 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 you know. Right. It can be very confronting and scary to have these conversations, especially if there's been a past wound or if your emotions were not, you were told your emotions were wrong or they weren't, they're they're not safe. Or if you have a partner who's not able to meet you halfway for these conversations, what would you suggest or recommend for somebody who's like, okay, I'm getting activated in this relationship a lot. Past wounds are coming up. I have difficulty trusting. I don't feel safe or I I don't feel worthy or enough, or I feel like he's looking at other girls with different body types or whatever it is. Yeah. Where would you start? That's what's so interesting is like so much of this is self-worth stuff, right? And the more you know that you're worthy of being treated a certain way, like we teach people how to treat us. Like that's so old and we know that it's true. So I have in the past, before I did a lot of consciousness work and before I did a lot of shadow work myself and became more aware of my stuff and being able to look at it and commune with it and love on it and nurture it, I would end up with people that I thought I was deserving of that like, it, it wasn't great because I thought that's all I, that's all I get. <laughs> that's what I'm deserving of, you know, and none of this was conscious. They, the Carl Jung quotes, like until the unconscious becomes conscious, you have the same results over and over and call it fate. And you just think that's what for so long, because of my core abandonment wound, I would choose men that would leave me. And then because our brains love proving themselves right, 
I would literally sometimes stay in things. I didn't even like them that much. I'd make them break up with me so that I could be like, see, every man leaves me. Every man treats me this way because unconsciously I thought that's what I deserved. Right. And so until I started doing really deep loving, and I think that's why I'm so obsessed with shadow work because it's learning how to embrace through practice. This isn't through your mind. It's through your body and practice, learning to embrace all of our parts, the parts of me that have lied, the parts of me that have stolen, the parts of me that have cheated, the parts of me that have unconsciously used people, the parts of me that has so much control issues, you know, perfectionism, fear, shame. It's all in me. It doesn't have to drive. When I commune with it, love gets to drive. That's like the whole thing, right? But until I started doing that, I would project my wounds onto other people and they're projecting their wounds onto me. But I thought that's what I'm deserving of because I'm kind of a piece of shit. And so, of course, someone's going to treat me this way because that's just like what I think I am deserving of. Or I'm going to judge every single thing about them because I have which is the best way to know parts that sit at your table that haven't been communed with yet. When I see myself judging the shit out of specific things, and it's interesting, like I'll see myself because we've talked about this before, like disordered eating sits at my table and it's night and day from what it's been, but it's in me, right? And when I feel really, really activated, I mean, my first memories are sitting in front of a television with food. I learned how to leave my body and all the chaos and all the pain and not knowing how to deal with my big emotions that were way too much in my family with junk food and a screen. And so when I see it in a partner, I'm the first to judge it because it's Mm. still parts in me when I'm not communing with those parts in me. Right. And so it's time to like set down the microscope and pick up a mirror because there's obviously Mm. something all I have control over is me. And that doesn't mean I also am the greatest component of boundaries on this planet. Like I think people can over boundary, which is like them trying to you know be an avoidant, but I'm not going to allow someone to talk ugly to me, to speak condescendingly to me because I'm not going to talk that way to you. So I'm worthy of being treated with respect and kindness and gentleness. You can say hard things to me. And, you know, if someone speaks in blatant, like disrespect and all those things, I'm not going to be in a relationship with that person and nothing changes. Now, if you bring it up and it just keeps happening and you're being abused or you're like, get out. Like, no, it's not, (laughs) that doesn't work. But when you're in the context of a marriage or a relationship where you feel so much care and love and you're able to have these conversations that's like fertile ground to be able to start saying hey what if we communicate this way or go to a therapist that can like help navigate having these kind of conversations that are actually regenerative and helpful instead of causing more pain yes okay so what i'm hearing is step 1 is always turning inward even if you are pointing the finger outward that's a beautiful invitation to look inward at what it is activating within yes. you. And so if you're not ready to have these conversations in the container of your relationship, you can talk to a therapist, you can read a book, you can uh, work with a coach, you can listen to podcasts on on topics that are related to it. I mean, there's endless options of ways that you can start to understand more about yourself. I think 100%. that- For me, with my clients, at the end of the day, as we sort of peel back the layers of the onion as to what's really going on, as you said, this wound of 
I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. It's always right there. Yes. And so really tending to that will help you not only with your relationships, but in every single area of your life. It infiltrates. When we don't feel worthy, it's going to play out in our relationships, in our work, in our bank accounts, in our bodies, in the way we eat, in the way that we interact with the earth, you know, but it's like that opportunity to constantly come back in. And I think, you know, even reading the first like internal family systems book, I I can't, I think it's called learning internal family systems. I don't remember off the top of my head, but that is a great place to start when you can start separating yourself of like not identifying with these parts that you've taught or been taught are bad or sinful or dirty or broken or shameful, right? When you learn to stop becoming the second arrow, which is like, you know, let's say jealousy comes up, which that's at my table. And usually I would become my own second arrow because I'd be like, what the fuck? Why can't you just be a good friend and just happy for your girlfriend that she's getting married or happy for your friend that just got this amazing job. Instead, you're being the shittiest friend because you're just jealous of them and blah, 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 which jealousy underneath that just shows you desire. Right. Mm -hmm. It shows you something that you want for you too. And the lack story is that can never be for me too. I love this analogy of the double arrow. The first arrow being that we feel something, jealousy, rage, anger, sadness, grief, joy. And the second arrow being our reaction to that emotion. The second, and especially when that reaction is of shame, like I shouldn't be feeling this way, or I'm wrong for having felt that way, or this is not okay. So talk to me a little bit about shame. I feel like this is just something that so many women understand and have felt in their lived experience. I mean, shame drove for me most of my life. The amount of shame that I have felt in this body is off the charts. And, you know, it's so interesting. I I remember learning about the second arrow because we all have these parts of us that pop up right? We don't have to be defined by them, but like shadow parts, human parts that pop up. And so often a lot of the parts that come up or the feelings that come up a lot of times are conditioned, but a lot of times they can be stories we've been taught. Like I should be a certain way, or I shouldn't have jealousy right now. Let's say that we're experiencing jealousy driving at our table. And what usually happens is we see this jealousy pop up and then all of a sudden we become the second arrow, which jealousy can feel really painful in our bodies. But oftentimes, instead of like recognizing it's here, allowing it to be here, inquiring about it, nurturing it, like Tara Brock teaches with rain, we become our own second arrow because then we shame ourselves for having felt jealousy, which then jealousy just gets more power more energy, right? And then we're turning on ourselves saying, and I'm bad for having felt that thing, right? Which just causes suffering. Anytime we say I shouldn't be feeling something, just know that that's like this really incredible sign of like shame. 
it's the equal to telling me I should be different than I am. I shouldn't have this. And we shame ourselves and it becomes our own second wound. And so when you start noticing these parts come up, be it control, fear, anger, rage, disordered eating. I mean, we literally, the amount of times in this life that I have binged, oh my gosh, but the what caused the suffering is how I treated myself after the experience, right? Caused so much more suffering, which kept disordered eating really in the driver's seat. Because that part of me that came up that I learned how to literally leave my body at a very young age to survive. It served me. Oh, when I realized, because that was probably one of my biggest shame stories that I felt so much insecurity about and so much shame about. And I felt shame about it when I was asleep to what it was doing when I was really unconscious. But then I've got even more shameful about it as I started waking up. And as I started realizing what was happening, I was even meaner to myself because I'm like, I should, I know better. I shouldn't be right. doing I this. I know I'm just doing right? this to cover up feelings or because I, so you're logically understanding why you're doing it, but the body is still using it as an escape. And that pattern is still deeply embedded. Oh my gosh. Yes. And when I realized, I mean, I had this beautiful aha moment years later where I was like, oh my gosh, that kept me on the planet. I'm telling you, I would have killed myself if I didn't have that outlet to leave my body when I was in the midst of living in my bed for seven years, you know, debilitating pain, husband leaving me, dad dying, crazy levels of chronic pain. If I had not had that or as a little girl, when I did not have tools to feel all the big feelings and they weren't allowed in my home, I'm telling you eventually, like I, at one point in my life, and there was definitely the case that I could have killed myself. And that's because Truly. those emotions were so strong and all consuming that you needed some way to relieve the pressure, to dissociate from the body, to escape it for a moment. And the binge eating provided that for you at a time in your life. Yes. Wow. And it served wow. me. And all of these things, when we can come at them with this curious and compassionate lens and see all of the ways that we've learned to survive, we're all coping skills. Like I love that Gaber Mate, the way he talks about addiction, he goes, addiction is a sane reaction to an insane world. It's a sane reaction. I had a massive addiction to food, a massive addiction to screens still in me. And when I wasn't given tools to know how to calm my nervous system and all these things, these numbing tools served me. I really did. But once we learn that we don't need them anymore and we learn how to commune with them and we learn how to be with them and not shame ourselves, like sometimes I'll imagine literally crawling in the bed with a version of me that's like wanting to eat six donuts and watch a reality show and just numb out. Cause that's what my first memory as a child is sitting in front of a television, eating junk food. I learned how to do that. That is hardwired in my brain before I would just shame myself so much when I did it. And now like I, one of my practices is imagining crawling in bed with her and just holding her and being with her. Mm -hmm. As she's experiencing it, not shaming her. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be having these feelings. What does it look like to be with that version of you? That's like the messiest, the shadowiest, the most insecure, you know, the one that you felt the most shame with to be with 
that version of you and to commune with them and just say, I'm with you. I, I remember a friend telling me years ago, and I this has stuck with me on a level that I can't even describe. And this was before I had a partner. I remember her talking about she had massive disordered eating and had been anorexic, had been in and out of treatment, binger, all the things. And she was newly married, but kind of tried to pretend like she wasn't dealing with it anymore. And she was like watching a show with him and got up to go to the bathroom. Instead, she was in the kitchen stuffing as much food in her mouth, which I'm like, I have done that. Me too. Oh my God. And hidden wrappers and just shame, right? And all of a sudden she hears him behind her and she feels all, you know, that feeling belly drops, heat rises in your face, shame, shame, shame. And you know what he does? He grabs a carton of ice cream out of the freezer. He jumps up on the counter and he was like, I'm going to be here with you. You do not have to do this alone. I am here and I love you and I'm not going anywhere. Let me be with you. I remember just crying and crying when she told me this story. And I was like, Okay. And then I went in this other story. I'm like, but I don't have one of those. I don't have a partner. I don't have anyone to do this. And then I had this very visual experience, very visceral experience. I mean, like I get to do that for her. I get to be the higher self. I get to be the mama that maybe I didn't experience as a little girl. Right. I was so scared and alone a lot as a child. What would it be? What did that little girl need? What did that little girl need? And the visual I got was me coming and putting her in my lap and just holding her and attuning to her. And I have done that to myself more times because it's not to say that disordered eating doesn't still come up. It still sits at my table. Does it drive most of the time? No. But does it pop up when I feel big, big feelings, which as an Enneagram 4 is nine fucking thousand times a day? (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. It still does, you know? And so it's these beautiful muscles that I get to build to commune with those parts of me that are just human. They're just human, yet we shame the shit out of ourselves for being human and expect us to be perfect. I just got goosebumps listening to that story because I could feel in my stomach the shame that she would have felt in that moment, knowing how many times I was hiding wrappers or was in a state where if somebody had walked in and seen me sitting on the floor with a whole box of cereal, eating it, crying my eyes out, that it would have been my ultimate fear. Actually, when I did, I did an acting class when I was in my early 20s. And the assignment was to act out a scene by yourself doing something. So like coming home and like getting changed or coming home and whatever it is. I have no effing idea how or why I decided to do this, but I basically reenacted myself binge eating. And that was the last time that I binge ate. There was something about being in that room. The whole room was absolutely silent after I cried and cried and cried. I I really, truly like, I feel so proud of that girl, but I'm also like, wow, that was brave of you to do that. I clearly felt safe enough and was just so ready for it to be done. There's this idea that when we shine the light on our most shameful parts and pieces, that they soften, that they are no longer so scary, that dark corner is no longer so scary. I love this quote that you said of 
addiction is a sane response to an insane world. I've heard that same tune about anxiety. Anxiety is a sane response to an insane world. Body image, negative body image is a sane response to an insane world. Yes. We blame ourselves for all these things that we're experiencing, but we have to understand that the messages that we are receiving day in and day out and expectations that we are placing on ourselves and that our society places on ourselves to always be connected and to be doing, doing, doing and pushing, 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 that our body is simply responding in a very sane way to insane conditions. Yes. 100%. I mean, that's why I was talking about like, you know, with my partner, like, of course he went to alcoholism growing up in a very, very, very strict religion, not allowed to do this, not, you know, give it to God, not allowed to feel these things. And the second he had a sip of alcohol, you know, and has OCD and ADHD and all these things, and he didn't have to feel all these feelings that he's been carrying for 18 years, of course, it's the most sane reaction to the insanity that he was experiencing, you know, but yet there's all this stigma. There's all this like shame I mean, it's like we're walking around with these weighted blankets of shame. And they say, you know, if you really sit back and become the witness of the stories going on in our heads, they say like 90 something percent of them are negative. I believe that. And like even more of that are the same stories over and over on a loop of what's wrong with this, what's bad, what's dirty, what's shameful, what's sinful, whatever the story is. What I should be doing, what I need to do. And it may not always sound negative, but when you really dig into the thoughts that you're having, like I need to make more money or I need to lose weight or I shouldn't be aging or if I could do this better or I could do that, it's like the undertone of them isn't rooted in love and compassion and abundance and all of these beautiful feelings that I believe are innately at our core, but that we've moved further and further away from. So you mentioned, let's just get like down to the nitty gritty here. We've talked about the double arrows. So if somebody's noticing shame coming up, you highlighted earlier in a conversation that we had that judgment, when you notice that you're judging others, that that's a sign as well, that there could be some shame there or some space for healing, jealousy, uh, self-doubt. You know, if any of these things are coming up, you spoke about meeting that younger version of yourself and just asking what would they need? Like if they had the ideal parent, what would that parent say or do or who would they be for them in that moment? Any other tips or tactics or tools to support when you notice that bubbling up? Yes, this has become the foundation of the work that I get to do today is shadow work with, you know, I've studied so much around internal family systems and learn understanding that these are just parts of us. It's not our being, it's not our highest self. It's not our soul that is eternal, that cannot die. (laughs) This goes on forever and ever. Human body parts, you know, this, these are just parts of us. And so often it's conditioning, but like I was saying earlier, I really believe what Tara Brock has taught me. I have studied under her for many, many, many years. One of my favorite teachers ever is the whole concept of RAIN, which stands for recognize it's here, allow it to be here. I stands for inquire. So 
letting yourself be curious. And that's when you go somatic. Every emotion lives in our body. So if I'm feeling fear, it's resonating in my body. If I'm feeling jealousy, you're going to feel it in your body. But we're usually up here or completely disassociated and not connected to the sensations in our body. If I'm feeling overwhelm, you know, or if I'm feeling shame, whatever it is. So when you start inquiring, you start letting yourself with a curious childlike mind, where do I feel fear in my body? Is there a sensation? Is there a color? Is there a shape? Is there a temperature? Is there a size? And really getting curious and playful with it. Learning how to connect to that emotion in my body and sitting with it and feeling it and asking it questions. I'll ask, is there an age associated with you? That's, you know, I remember learning years ago, the, the quote, when it's hysterical, it's historical. So if you're feeling big, over-the-top emotions, it's something old mm. that actually just wants to be felt and be healed and to be transmuted. And so is there an age associated with you? Because it's probably really old. Is there a memory associated with you? And the very last step, in is nurture, which I love that that's the last step. So often, especially in the healing spaces, just love on it because you don't want to actually, it can bypass, you know, allowing it to be here. First, you have to even notice that it's happening because we can get so conditioned that this is just how we feel and we think that's the way it Mm -hmm. is. And it's not, you know, so in nurture, what does that version of you need to hear? What does she need? What does he need? What do they need? Do we need to remove them from a situation in our minds? Do we, you know, I actually have a meditation on if you sign up for my newsletter where I take people through a meditation doing this because it's changed my whole life. Learning to commune with these parts instead of shaming them has drastically shifted how I move through the world. And it's drastically shifted how I commune with my friends because if I don't think that it's like, this big taboo, horrible thing that I have to hide this part of me to be able to bring this up. I mean, my partner and I constantly will be like a story I was telling myself was so mean and there was so much shame and so much this and that. And he'll look at me and say, Oh, babe, I love that part of you. That part of you gets to be here too. It's just a story. I love that part of you you know, and like allowing ourselves to be seen in it. I don't have to, I mean, the beauty of doing this work is like, it frees me up to be like, I get to just be really human. And, you know, if I come off as I am on this big, you know, there's hierarchy and I'm up here and y'all are down here and I'm here to teach you all the things because I have it all figured out. That is some bullshit. Listen, I am on this journey, just like everyone else. I will be, I don't foresee myself becoming a fully enlightened being in this life. I will be human until the day I die and this eternal being. We're all, all of it. But like, I'm going to have shadowy shit, a part of everything I do forever. And when I pretend I don't, I'm either really unconscious or I'm lying. And I think that your honesty and authenticity in opening up and allowing people to come on this journey with you is what ultimately has made you a leader, whether you'll accept it or not, but somebody that people can turn to when they're going through their own shit, their own storm, their own shame. And so I would just like to say on behalf of many, 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 many hundreds of people, thousands of people who follow you and absolutely adore you and love you. Thank you for just showing up exactly as you are in your full human self and for normalizing all of these things that we all experience. It's just so human. 
So next time you are getting changed and you look in the mirror and you think, oh my God, my stomach, notice that part of yourself, speak to it kindly, like, yeah, that's human. Of course, of course you feel like your stomach's wrong. Look at all the messages that you've received. That's right. And we're still going to eat some food and we're still going to get dressed and you're still worthy of love. And we move on and carry on from that place. And over time, what I find happens as you do this, the inquiry work that she was talking about, the body scans, the somatic work where you're actually going into your body, it's almost like you begin to metabolize a lot of those hard feelings that are underneath the surface. It doesn't mean they disappear forever, but they dissipate and they soften. The jealousy becomes lighter. The shame around the eating stuff becomes less toxic. It's it's like the poison kind of begins to move through you and you find a lot of freedom. I would say if somebody asked me what is the number one thing that helped you through your binge eating, I would say it was actually learning to sit and feel in my body and do the mm-hmm. somatic work. It wasn't easy, but I would completely agree. It's profound. So Ruthie, where can people find you? I would say the best place to find me is through my website, which is ruthielindsay.com, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. And there you can sign up for my newsletter, which I am way more active there than I am social media these days. But I still, I have a sweet little Instagram. It's just called Ruthie Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, at Ruthie Lindsay. But the newsletter, it's called Love's Invitation. And when you sign up for it, you do get the parts work meditation that I was just talking about, learning how to commune with these parts. I'll walk you through it that you can have forever. And there's also a paid version if you want to pay $6 a month, which you can cancel anytime. But I do once or twice a month, I do really beautiful live experiences where I have different people come on. Aaron's going to come on one day. Today we did one on sacred sexuality. I have done ones on like, you know, deconstructing a rigid religious belief system, but still making space for the divine, right? It's so easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater or spiritual hygiene or working with the new moon or the full moon, or I mean, there's just different ones every month. So I would be honored to have people a part of that. I also offer a six month container called love reflections. And again, it's like, you know, I get to sit across from you. There's no hierarchy. I get to, it's not centered on me, but I share myself so that you know that we're all just human. <laughs> like I'm very human over here. It gives a lot of freedom and we meet once a week. And it's just one of the greatest privileges of my life to get to do this work. Cause I believe everything I lived through prepared me to be able to mirror in these ways. I also lead a lot of retreats and workshops and things like that, but I am going to be doing a sacred rebel sister circle starting at the end of September for a small group of women. It's about halfway filled right now. Cause I haven't actually posted about it. I've just been doing more word of mouth and a little bit through my newsletter because I just believe part of my dharma on this planet is like liberating bodies. And that is obviously starts with me. And what does it look like to show up as your fullest expression, you know, with all your sensuality and sexuality and weirdness and shadow and light and brilliance and creativity. So we'll study sacred sexuality and money consciousness and embodiment and shadow work and just all these beautiful things. But when women come together in circle and allow themselves to be witnessed and seen 
something really potent happens. And this will all be online, but then there's going to be an in-person retreat in Nashville at the end. So all of that's on my website. Beautiful. And I love it. And I just can't thank you enough for all the beautiful work that you're doing in the world. You are exactly where you are meant to be and just such a bright light. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ruthie. I will make sure that everything she just mentioned is linked down below in the show notes so that you can find it easily as always. Take what resonated, leave the rest behind and have a beautiful week. That's right. Erin, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Your work is so potent and so powerful. And I just appreciate you and all the work you've done on yourself to be able to show up in the world the way that you do. It's really such a gift. And I'm really honored that I get to know you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye, y'all. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.